Question. If God is all-powerful and all-good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? If God is all-powerful and all-good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Skeptics have said throughout the centuries that the presence of evil and suffering, pain and suffering, is evidence that the God of the Bible cannot exist. I mean, after all, if God is is all-powerful and all-good, the skeptic would say that he should take away, remove all the evil and the suffering in the world. That's a formidable question. I mean, he may be all-powerful, the skeptic would say, and has the the power to take away evil and suffering, but he's not all good. And so he chooses not to. Or he may be all good. I mean, his desire is to take away evil and suffering in this world. But he's not all powerful, so he can't. That's a tough question for a believer. But either way, The God of the Bible, the skeptic would say, cannot possibly exist. I mean, after all, storms like we just saw are inevitable. I mean, it is. Pain and suffering is inevitable. It's like the Great Wall of China. You cannot get around it. You're going to face it at some point in life. So, the skeptic would ask, Does the God of the Bible really exist because of evil and suffering that's in the world? Now, before we go any further, uh, let me just say that that there have been people throughout the ages that have disbelieved in God, have, have not given their life to Christ, have not asked Him to come and be Savior and Lord of their life because of this very question. And that may be you today. And if it's not you, you may know somebody who says, look, I love the idea of there being a, the God of the Bible, but the evidence just shows. It, it just, the evidence here in the world, the pain, the, the senseless pain, the senseless suffering, is evidence that he must not exist. And so I can't give my life to a God like that. Before we go any further, I, I would just say that I, I don't believe that disbelief in God allows us to face suffering evil and pain any better. It doesn't give us any advantage to disbelieve in God based on evil and suffering. Let me explain why. When we see pain and suffering, when we see senseless pain and suffering in the world, the the strong eating the weak, uh, it it enrages us. I mean, it, it, it angers us. And that's not just for believers. That's not just for Christians. That's that's the world over. People see pain and suffering. They see injustice. And they get angry at it. The question I would ask is why? Why do do we get angry? Even those that don't know Christ. Even those that are not believers. Those that don't profess Christ. Why do do they, they get? Why does the world see injustice and get angry at it? 
Martin Luther King Jr., in his letter from a Birmingham jail, said this. How do we know if a human deed or a human law is unjust? Only if there is a higher law that says so. So we see injustice. And we get angry at it because we believe as believers, God has planted, has seared, has has imprinted on our heart a law that's higher than simply what is here on this earth. We we see injustice, and it angers us because God, from his infinite throne, has, has said that that's the way it should be. After all, if there's no God, the strong eating the weak is just a natural result of this life, of this world. I mean, we should just, if there's no God and we see the, 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 the strong eating the weak, we see uh, stronger nations taking over weaker nations, and we see people that are, are in positions of power using that for their own good, for their, their own means, we should look on that and just go, who cares? I mean, that's just the natural result of this world. Who really cares? But none of us, none of us look on that approvingly. And I would submit that it's because there's a God who reigns in heaven who has created us and imprinted on our hearts that that's unjust and it must stop. When you talk about this particular subject, it's it, it kind of puts you in, there's a, there's a problem. Because here's, 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 here's the, 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 the tension. Some of us look at injustice. And we see it out there and we go, that's, that's not right. It's, it, it's wrong. We need, to, we need to get rid of it. And on an academic level, it, it, it enrages us. I mean, we just look on it and it enrages us. It, it makes us angry. But we're not going through pain and suffering currently, personally, right now. And we look at that, we look at the injustice in the world, and we go, why? We ask why. But then there's the other person. And it's, they don't, this is not an academic exercise for them. This is personal. It is painful. And they look at pain and suffering, and they ask why as well. And while the question may be framed the same, and there's definitely overlap, they are not asking the same question. So this morning, as we kick off this series, I hope that you'll bear with me. Today, we're going to look at the first question. How how do we look at pain and suffering? What's God up to? On a more philosophical, maybe, I hate to use the word academic, but, but for those that are not experiencing pain and suffering personally today, I want to answer, what is God doing? What is God up to? It's going to be cold comfort, really. And then next week, if you're, if you're experiencing pain and suffering personally, I would encourage you, come back next week. And we're going to deal with the question of why on a personal level. But they're framed the same way, but it's not the same question. And so this week, we're going to look at what is, when, what's God up to? I'm going to try my best, at least, to answer the question, what's God up to? Why, what, can the God of the Bible exist if there's pain and suffering? In the world. 
a little caveat before we jump into the text. Pain and suffering was not God's idea. If you you go back with me to the Garden of Eden, God God created this world perfectly. There was no sin, there was no turmoil, there was no pain, there was no suffering. And on our own free will, we turned our back from God and we said, we are a better sovereign than you. We can handle this ourselves. And the result of that decision, the result of that um, sin, entered into this world pain and suffering. This was not God's idea. However, I hope you'll see by the end of this, God's big enough, he's powerful enough, he's sovereign enough, he is good enough to use even that for his glory and for his renown. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, one of my favorite stories in all of the New Testament. John chapter 11, it's a story that you're well aware of. You'll know, you'll know exactly where we're going as soon as you turn there. But I would ask that you, that you wait. You don't, don't rush to the very end because we're going to work our way through it and hopefully see what God is up to, how God uses pain and suffering for his glory and for his renown, why he allows it to happen. Okay? So don't rush to the end when you get there. Jesus and his disciples... Um, Let me see if I can find my spot here. Jesus and his disciples have just left Jerusalem in a hurry. They're having a conversation with with some of the religious leaders. Typically the case when when you see Jesus uh, in the New Testament during his ministry. He's having a a discussion and he makes these religious leaders very angry. So much so that the crowds pick up rocks and they're about to start throwing them at Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus... Um, As they begin to pick up rocks, he asks one more question to the religious leaders, and it kind of perplexes them. They don't know the answer. So they turn, and they start to discuss, debate the answer to Jesus' question. When they do that, Jesus and his disciples cross the Jordan River and head out to an area called Perea. It's not really a town, it's just kind of an area to hide out, to get away from the the stoning that that was about to take place. They're just getting out of Dodge. When they get out there, they find out that in a town not too far away, a couple miles outside of, of, Bethany, or of Jerusalem, the town of Bethany, some sad events, some sad circumstances are taking place. That's where we pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was was ill. So the the gospel writer John goes to great lengths to make sure that his readers know exactly who he's talking about. This doesn't typically take place in the New Testament. Normally, the writer will say there was a blind man and then, or there was a crippled man, and then for all of of time, for all the ages, that person is known as the blind man. Or that person is known as a crippled man. How would you like to be known like that? But that's how everybody knows most people that Jesus comes in contact with. The gospel writer John wants to make sure that that is not the case. We know exactly who this person was. We know his sisters, and we know who he was. Lazarus 
of Bethany. Verse 3. So the sister sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, whom uh, he whom you love is ill. So this guy loves Jesus, and Jesus loves him back. They don't even send his name. They don't say, hey, Lazarus is, is sick. They say, the one who you love. This guy is close to Jesus. They have a, an intimate, close relationship. They love each other. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in the middle of the story, the Gospel writer gives us some commentary. And he does it because he Unless it was put in the Bible, we would not believe it. What John is about to tell us, we would not believe if it weren't in the Bible. So he gives us some commentary to, to remind us who this person is. It says, verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loves these people. They are close. He loves them. They have a, they have a relationship and a deep one. But we're not going to believe it based on what happens next. So the gospel writer reminds us, they love each other. Verse 6. So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus is doing his ministry. And he gets word that somebody who he cares deeply for, who he loves, is sick. And they say, hey, Jesus, we have seen your ministry. You have healed blind men. You have, you have helped crippled men, men that have never walked before. You have touched them. And they have risen up. They have raised up. And their legs and their feet and their toes, they worked for the very first time in all of their life. Jesus, we have seen this happen. And so we're calling on you to come and heal Lazarus. We're calling for you to come and heal our brother. He is sick. He is not doing well. He is in pain. He is in agony. He is on death's door. And we want you to come and heal it. And Jesus finds out about this. And he doesn't pack up his stuff. The, the disciples, I'm sure they heard the news, and they started getting their tents together. They started getting all the food and packing it up and, and putting it together, ready to head out to Bethany. And Jesus says, stop what you're doing, guys. We're not going anywhere. And for two days, Jesus stays exactly where he is. And the question that it asks, the question that this text begs, is why? Why in the world would Jesus stay when the one that he loves is in so desperate need of his help. That's where we live, isn't it? I mean, that's, that, that is reality for us, isn't it? I'll never forget, a couple years ago, a person in our church, their, their loved one, lady's husband, was sick, ICU, and it was apparent that his life was coming to an end. And she and, and, and her sons, they were not ready 
They weren't ready for it. And she, every day I'd come in, sit five, six hours, I'd just sit with them. And over and over and over again, she would, God, please just show up for, for your glory, for your renown. Would you heal my husband? God, we want you to get the glory, but would you just allow him to, to be healed? Would you take this wretched cancer away? Day after day after day, he just continued to go downhill. It felt like this story. Jesus, we love you. We have served you. And where are you now? And I'm sure that's exactly what Mary and Martha felt. And Jesus said, I'm not going anywhere. The story continues. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us get up and go, uh, let us go to Judea again. So after two days, he says, all right, let's pack up camp. And let's head towards Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are going, uh, and are you going there again? Implication, they're going to stone you, that means they're going to stone me. Maybe we should go a different direction. Jesus answered, this makes me laugh. Are there not 12 hours in a day? What? I mean, Jesus, we were just talking about getting stoned. And the best you got is there are, aren't there 12 hours in a day? There's no way that these guys understood. In fact, some commentators think that, that John uh, didn't include a question that was asked. It makes so little sense, Jesus' response initially, that many commentators think that John just left out a question that Jesus was asked in response to this. But Jesus says, aren't there, just, are, are, are there not 12 hours in a day? And then it begins to make sense. If anyone walks in the day... He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they uh, thought that he meant he was taking uh, rest in sleep. These guys are clueless. <laughs> Typical story over and over and over again. These guys don't have a clue. But Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And then Jesus says something that is unfathomable if it were not in the Bible. Verse 15. Something so seemingly insensitive that we would not believe it were it not in the Bible. And for your sake, I am glad. Whoa, 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 wait, wait just a minute, Jesus. You were, you were called. You were told about Lazarus and the illness that he had. And you did the most insensitive thing possible. You said, we're not going anywhere. We're staying here for two days. And now you found out, now you find out that he has died and you say you're glad? You're glad that it happened? Come on, Jesus. I don't get it. I don't understand. 
How in the world could you say something so insensitive? You're glad that he died. That's exactly what Jesus said. Now remember, you're jumping to the end. You know the end of the story. They didn't. They were walking through this just like you and I walked through pain and suffering. They heard this, and Lazarus was in the tomb. He was dead. And Jesus said, I'm glad that happened. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So that purpose statement, you may believe. Go back with me to Bethany for just a minute. Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they're up in the room. Lazarus is in, is in agony. It's not, this is not in the Bible, but I'm sure it's not much of a stretch to think that this was happening. Lazarus was in a room. He was in agony. He was in pain. He was on death's door. And Mary and Martha are saying, Lazarus, just hold on just a few minutes. Just keep holding on. He puts it through. Hang on, bud. Hang on, brother. Jesus is coming. He's going to be here at any point. Just hang on. He's on the way. Don't pass away. Keep breathing. Keep thinking. Keep, keep pushing through. Jesus is going to be here. He's going to be here any minute. Just hang on. And Lazarus is there on the bed, and Mary and Martha look at each other, and they're like, where is he? He should be here by now. And they excuse themselves, themselves from the room, and they go, they go outside, and they start to talk to each other. Where is he? I thought you sent for him. I did. I don't know where he is. Why is he not here yet? Our brother, he's in pain. He's sick. He's going to die. Where is Jesus? They walk back in. And he breathes his last. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. This is also where we live, isn't it? I mean, this is reality for us in a fallen world. We're begging, pleading, asking for Jesus to intervene. And all we get is silence. This is reality for us. We experience pain and suffering. Just yesterday, we we. I don't know about celebrate, but we acknowledge 10 years since Hurricane Katrina, senseless pain and suffering among some of the poorest people in our nation. We've experienced it ourselves. People who did not deserve to die when a tornado rips through our town. Two-year-old baby breathes their last, the infant sit. I mean, we just live in a broken world where seemingly senseless pain and suffering is our constant reality. And it's tempting to believe that it is pointless because we cannot see a point. Let me say that again. It's tempting for us to, to see this pain and suffering and believe that it's pointless because from our perspective, from, from our view, we don't see a point. However, if God is all-powerful, and we believe that he is, and God is all-good, 
And he is all-knowing, and we believe that he is. Couldn't it at least be possible that God could be up to something that we don't understand and we don't see? Mary and Martha didn't think there was anything that good, or good that could come from the pain and the suffering of their brother. They didn't see any good reason that Jesus did not show up in time. But according to the text, Jesus had a reason for not showing up. Even though Martha and Mary and Lazarus could not see it. This is cold comfort for those that are walking through pain and suffering personally themselves. That's why I kind of gave that caveat at the very beginning. But for those of us that are looking on a world that is broken and wondering, God, what are you up to? I mean, it's, I, I see it, but it's out there. Could it at least not be possible that an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, a God who sits on his throne from heaven's perspective and sees from past eternity to future eternity, could use this pain and suffering, at least the, the possibility that he could use the pain and the suffering of this world for a purpose that we cannot see. Couldn't it at least be possible? Because according to this text, that's exactly what was happening. Let's fly through the rest of the story. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was already in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, so many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, met, she went and met him. Why did they know he was coming? Because they were looking for him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Translation, my brother is dead, and it is your fault. Jesus, don't get mad. Please don't get mad, but I'm just telling you. If you had been here, he would not have died. You didn't come, and now he's dead. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection, uh, in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him. And it's almost like she just recites it. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She's like, yes, I know that you're uh, Jesus, God's Son. But I don't care about theology right now. That's not the question. The question I have is why weren't you here? Why didn't you come when I called you? Why were you late? It's not a time to debate theology. I just wanted you here. And you didn't show up. And my brother is dead as a result. He goes on. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called to her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. 
And when she heard it, she arose, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with, uh, who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In this real? I mean, this is reality for us. This is what we ask. God, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who had come with her also were uh, with her also weeping. <clears throat> Jesus was greatly, uh, was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, "Where have you laid him?" And they said to him, "Lord, come and see." And Jesus wept. I love that. You know why this is significant? Jesus knew the end of the story, <clears throat> and he still stopped. And join them in their pain and in their suffering. Jesus knew how the story was going to end. If this was me, I would say, hey guys, I know he's dead right now, but just stay with me for a few minutes. I'm about to do something awesome. I'm, I'm going to blow your mind here in just a minute. There's no reason, to, no reason to cry. Watch this. That's not what Jesus does. He joins them in their suffering and he weeps with them. That's the kind of Savior that you and I worship. In our pain and our suffering, he comes alongside of us and he meets us right there. And he hurts with us. Verse 36. So the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not, or could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? I mean, this is starting to spread. Rumors are moving. Hey, we've seen him do other things. Why couldn't he save this guy who we love? Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And you know how the story ends. He says, Guys, take away the stone. And he prays and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he does. And then Jesus tells them, hey guys, go, go and unwrap him. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's me, I'm turning to my buddy and I'm saying, how about you do it? All right? That's, I'm, not, I'm not touching that. I'll give him a hug when he's done, when they've unwrapped him. But I want you to do the unwrapping. But they go and they... They unwrap Lazarus, and he walks out of the tomb. I want to read my notes because I want to make sure that I get this right. Here is the point, though. God's priority was not healing Lazarus, the one whom he loved. God's priority, Christ's priority, was not even raising Lazarus from the dead. Christ's priority was not keeping two women, Mary and Martha, whom he loved from who had sacrificed for him, who loved him well, 
from anguish and pain. It was not his priority to keep them from that. With all that pain and suffering, Christ had a different plan and a different priority. And verse 4 tells us exactly what that was. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God is powerful enough and good enough to take pain and suffering, which was not a part of his original plan, which he didn't cause. But he is big enough, he is powerful enough to do, just as Joseph said in the Old Testament in Genesis, to take what Satan meant for evil and turn it around for good. Even when we don't see the point. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, while it may be cold comfort for those that are walking through pain and suffering today, Lord, I pray that we would get a glimpse of, your, of, of you at work this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.